Hey everyone, I hope you're doing okay, that you're safe and protected and that you have good snacks and I'm very happy to send you another episode with someone who is so comforting to talk to. We recorded this I think in December last year, so while we talked a bit about these times and it being challenging, we had no idea that um, a pandemic was coming. But yeah, it's, things are interesting like that sometimes and I just feel really excited to send you this interview right now because I think Alex's cunning folk, which by the way is the person I talked to, I should have probably mentioned that, um, just has so much wisdom to share about um, self and community care um, through difficulty, working with plans and tarot archetypes and really centering re-enchantment in our work and our life. So I really, yeah, I really hope you enjoy this episode too, as much as I did just listening back to it and I hope you'll check Alexa's work out if you feel like it. And also a sweet reminder that my Unravel program is starting this Friday on the 22nd of May. And um, this is a pay what you can program. It's a six week cocoon um, with a small group of people where we're gonna do um, different breathwork and ritual practices and a bit of writing each week. You can do that in your own time. It's really simple, um, really not huge, difficult practices. You probably won't need to buy anything. Um, if you just have pen and paper and candles at home, that should do the trick. And then we'll have three live calls every two weeks where we'll do um, a deeper breathwork practice together and share a little bit about what has come up and what it means. And really, um, it's weaving together grief, work, grief tending and ritual and writing to explore what's happening, like what is happening (laughs) right now? What do we need to feel a little bit more grounded and resilient? And to kind of develop trust in our own ability to grieve well, I think that feels important to me right now. So like I said, it's a pay what you can program. Um, You can become a patron at any level and join us and I'll link to that in the show notes and would love to have you and I'm also here if you have questions and now I'm gonna let you listen to the episode thank you so much bye hey everyone thank you so much for tuning into another episode I know I always say this but I really do carry such a big heart full of gratitude for my guests and through the world and just had such a nice uh, check-in as we were beginning and preparing for this call so today I'm speaking to Alexis Conningfolk who you might know um, from the apothecary words in cunning. I hope I'm not mispronouncing this. You um, got it right. <laughs> great, fantastic. But they're doing such beautiful work in the world. Let me tell you guys. Um, they offer tarot classes. They do so much magical work around herbalism that's really grounded and tangible and yet also really, really just very enchanting. Like I feel very warm reading um, her zines and just the way that Ah, plans are described and all these different practices are woven together feels very rich and and very enriching in my life so uh yeah i've been following uh, access work for a while and i'm really excited we get to talk to today so thank you so much for being here thank you for having me that was a lovely introduction (laughs) 
um, yeah, I would love to begin, if that's cool, by asking you um, where you are in the world right now and what nature is like around you. So right now, I am in Northern California. I live in a city um, that's situated between two rivers. So we get we have this little kind of microclimate that happens. So right now in January, it's really foggy and we're expecting more rain. January is sort of our rainy season um, and it's beautiful because mm. it gets really, really hot here. Mm -hmm. And so having these cold, colder winter days, <laughs> it's not cold compared to many places. Um, I really, really appreciate them. So mm -hmm. yeah, it's beautiful. We've been having, I saw a black eagle fly over our house the other day, which we're in the middle of the city um, and other sort of birds of prey and yeah. It's a really mm. kind of slow and quiet time that mm -hmm. I very much enjoy. Mm -hmm. Sounds yeah. beautiful. Can you also tell us a little bit more about your work and what you care about? Yeah, so I'm an herbalist and a witch, and that has been true for many, many years. And my work is centered around the reenchantment of world and our lives and I do that a lot through supporting um, healing and holy communities like that that has been centered in my work since I was a much smaller thing um, <laughs> how I go about that has changed over the years and this year has definitely been one of those change years but um, primarily I use tools of herbal medicine and magical practice to help folks remember themselves back home mm -hmm. and wake up to being part of this world, to being an important and integral part of this world. So right now, that means I'm facilitating a lot of spaces that are very soft and easeful. And because we have such a climate of stress and overexertion and worry um, right now, kind of as a global culture, and as well as making a lot of space for grief. I think we're in a time of profound grieving as we figure out what we need to do next as a species, <laughs> you know, as, um, yeah. And mm -hmm. so I work with a lot, I, I work a lot with healers and other activists, especially those who are queer and folks of color. Um, these are basically kind of your wounded healers who, mm -hmm are often caring for others long before they remember to let others care for them as well as to care for themselves. So yeah, that's kind of my trying to, it's not quite an elevator speech, but that's where I'm at <laughs> these days. Yeah. I think that's a fantastic elevator speech. It's <laughs> like an elevator really deep into the earth. Yeah. So plenty of time, you know, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I really wish I could attend your local things. Uh, you're pretty far away from me with me yeah. in Scotland, but they sound really beautiful and like, yeah, soft spaces are so, so needed. That's great. You know, um, I'm willing to come out to Scotland. Really? I love, oh, I, love, I, I actually studied abroad in Scotland and it was one of the, I, it feels like one of the most beautiful places in the world to mm. me. Just, I love Scotland. Scotland was a difficult, it was one of the most difficult periods of my life. And if I had not been there, mm -hmm. I, I wouldn't have 
I wouldn't be here today. Um, mm-hmm. So I have a lot of gratefulness for that land. So yeah. I'll come out to Scotland. We'll do Great. that. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Please let me know when you do. Where, yeah. did you. where did you stay when you were here? I was, I went to, I studied at St. Andrews for a semester. Uh-huh. Um, cool. Yeah. So, which was a really, that was a culture shock because mm-hmm. I came from a very progressive um, feminist women's college mm-hmm. with folks of all genders, but definitely mm-hmm. like, you know, uh, women were seen as equal citizens. Mm-hmm. And I went to St. Andrews where mm-hmm. there were only two women teaching mm-hmm. as full-time professors. Mm-hmm. And that had only just happened. Mm-hmm. And it was, yeah, it was a culture shock in a lot of levels. Yeah. It was good. Um, yeah. I can imagine that's big. Yeah. Um, For those listening that don't know, so St. Andrews is kind of, I would say, center uh, east (laughs) coast of Scotland. Um, Yeah. And it's a relatively small place with a pretty or relatively conservative university. I don't actually know a ton about the university landscape in Scotland, but I know that St. Andrews in my mind has always been the place where um, the royal family goes to study, for example. Yeah, I was actually there when oh. William was there. Oh, and God. Kate, it was a really, it was so bizarre on so many levels. You know, the reason I went there is I was a politics major, and it's difficult to study politics abroad. Mm-hmm. Um, and our the college I went to had a like old time relationship with it. So I was like, yeah, well, it's great. All mm-hmm. all colleges are liberal. <laughs> <laughs> but it was good. It inspired my work in a, in many ways. I sort of wrote a, you know, my thesis became this sort of reaction against this experience of like, mm-hmm. wait, how how did you know, the UK has, and we're, we're getting on the tangent here, but the UK has <laughs> such old roots of feminism and progressive politics. And somehow the US sort of stepped ahead briefly. I don't know. It was just, I learned a lot of things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> was, yeah, I kind of really imagine. interesting. Yeah. yeah. But St. Andrews also isn't far from me. And it's also very near some beautiful, incredible landscapes. Oh, yeah. We have probably swum in the same part of the sea, which is exciting. And we maybe even yeah. have seen the same seals. It's just so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the pagan community there was amazing. It was just, Mm -hmm. it was a very sweet time. So yeah. yeah, And the sea there is its own. Mm -hmm. Oh, the gods are old and walking around out there. I mean, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So speaking about the gods and the magical practices. Yeah. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) um, How does my, how did magic come into your life? And, what does it look like for you at the moment on a day-to-day basis? Right. Um, so I was really lucky that when I was, so I, I'd always had an interest in, um, I guess what we would put under the esoteric umbrella. I, when I was seven, I checked out a book about ghost hunting and psychic powers geared towards kids. I now wow. found these books again. They're amazing, <laughs> right? And and read those were my manuals. And um, and partly because I was really curious and I was trying to understand the psychic experiences I was having. And also because I was afraid. I was really, really afraid of ghosts. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was trying to conquer that fear a little bit. Um, and then we moved when I was 12 from the working class part of town to the very rich part of town. And it was a very hard transition on a number of levels. And um, 
I was fortunate enough to meet a pagan family and they were kind of the first people to let me into their house mm-hmm. and not talk down to me. And they were incredibly kind. And I watched as the mother made these beautiful goddess dolls. And then I learned about making altars. And right then and there, I made my first altar on mm-hmm. the bedroom floor of my friend's room. And her mom came in and said, well, that's beautiful. You have a knack for that. And I mean, I learned what rice milk was. This was just a whole other experience <laughs> for me. <laughs> um, and we you know, we, that was, I wasn't looking for um, a change in religion. And I spent a year kind of, I was raised Episcopalian. I thought I was going to become an Episcopal priest or something. Um, I was spiritually minded. And then it was just a calling Mm -hmm. and began to learn about paganism and witchcraft and um, yeah, and have continued on that path ever since. Mm -hmm. So these days, um, my day-to-day magical practice is sort of a mix of devotional work, and there's a lot of um, work with and communion with sort of the land spirits and ancestors and sort of the myriad of family and community and self-care that I participate in. Um, I've had a pretty consistent breathwork based meditation practice since I was 12, which Mm -hmm. I started because I was having really bad reactions to my asthma medication. Um, And someone, I think I had seen, read in some book offhanded that, well, sometimes having, doing meditation helps people with asthma. So Mm -hmm. um, that's when I started. It was a great, (laughs) great choice. Um, and then like specifically right now in this sort of gloaming time between Yule and Imbolc, I'm thinking about sort of a Imbolc is a time for me of kind of vow making of what I'm wanting to, I kind of make some simple vows for the time between Imbolc and Samhain, um, and then there's lots of like checking in on candle making supplies to make candles around in Volker family. And I also tend to do a lot of medicine making planning at this time of year. So even though a great part of the world is in the North Northern hemisphere is under snow, our growing season is starting soon. So um, yeah. So I do plan around that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I don't know. There's not, there's nothing. So I, I just lots of simple things that I can show up to consistently. That's mm-hmm. <laughs> what my magical practice looks like. Um, yeah. yeah. I have always really loved the beauty and the simplicity of the rituals and practices that you offer. Um, I've never opened a zine or engaged with a course and felt overwhelmed or unsure to begin. And I also felt really empowered to kind of um, drop into the particular space that I needed in a given time. So, yeah, that makes sense. That's beautiful. You know, and also I will I'm learning also on how to like deliver information better, because (laughs) I think what I tend to do is I'm so excited about all the things. Mm-hmm. And writing is one of the ways that I feel able to express myself that I tend to <laughs> overproduce. <laughs> oh, well. And, and well, and I learned, I feel like I got a little bit better with tarot apothecary, but it's, I think there is sort of, it's been my lesson in like learning how to, I want people to feel invited in more than overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been my, a, a big lesson for me as a teacher too. Mm-hmm. So 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. I love writing too, and yeah, I love your writing. So yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I'm wondering. So we're recording this in January of 2020, and mm-hmm. it's it's a particular time. I actually don't even want to say anything about this. Particular it is a particular time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a really <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, um. Yeah. <laughs> I really just can't find any words. And also I feel like in the last few years I've had, you know, I've opened a question so often with this, like, well, these are very particular times. I'm wondering what you're doing right now, (laughs) but I am actually really wondering if you have a favorite plant alley at the moment, or if there's a tarot archetype that you really like working with. Yeah. Gosh, these are always the hardest questions for me. So I can say right now, I have this morning when I went out into the garden too, that some of the the herbs are growing up. And so lemon balm is always one of the first herbs to pop up in our yard. So I've been drinking fresh lemon balm tea the past few mornings. So I'm drinking right now. And um, lemon balm is Melissa officinalis um, is one of those herbs that it has a special affinity for bees um, Melissa, and it's, it's Latin binomial, it's Latin name, um, refers to the Melissae of Greece, of ancient Greece, and they were bee priestesses, these sort of intermi- intermediaries between folks and the gods, as bees were seen as the creatures that delivered messages from the gods. Um, and so lemon balm has always been this happy, buzzy little herb for me um, that helps us connect back into sort of the larger community without feeling we can feel part of the group or we can feel like we are um, being overwhelmed and overrun (laughs) by the group. And I think lemon balm helps us to remember and realize that um, we are a necessary um, part of this wild interconnected whole that we exist in. Um, I think it helps to, even though it's, I think, bees and buzzing and everything, it helps us to connect to the quieter parts of our mind, the ones that um, I think we can, all of us experience a lot of chatter, that's how our brains work, and I find lemon balm to really relax the nervous system and help us to connect with what we want to be thinking as opposed to what we feel like we have to be thinking, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, so lemon balm, I guess, is, is, is the plant I'm working with right now. Um, it's, I mean, it's also just great on a number of levels. It's great for colds and flu. It's great for if you tend towards stomach upset or irritable bowel, nausea. It can be helpful with headaches when you combine it with other herbs like skullcaps, cutellaria, latriforia. Um, yeah. Anyways, I'm not going to get totally on a tangent. (laughs) As for tarot... Um, I I feel like this time of year is very much the star card for me. Oh, yeah. Um, that quiet sort of timelessness where uh, we pause between breaths. It's kind of what the t- star card feels like for me. I love it's one of my favorite cards in the deck. Um, yeah, so I would say that that energetically that's kind of where my practice is at as a star card. I think I even talk about, I do talk about that in the tarot apothecary, one of our meditations. Yeah. It's one of my favorites. 
So yeah, I really love the tar- the star card a lot too, especially in Tia's tarot deck. I think that's my favorite mm. star card. Mm-hmm. It's very good. Um, I so I'm I'm gonna <laughs> switch gears a little bit. Yeah, um, I would love to talk a little bit about business stuff as well. I'm I'm noticing that you found really beautiful ways about in and talking about pricing and making your work mm-hmm. as accessible as possible while also honoring your time and energy, which is really hard to do under capitalism. And so I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit more um, about how that unfolded for you and what economic justice means to you now, bearing in mind that I really don't expect a perfect or even static answer. I know this is really, you know, just a wobbly thing that we're all kind of figuring out as we go. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I would say my very first thing, it's, this is a continuous process of learning and experimentation. I think a lot of folks, especially those of us kind of in the holistic, you know, purple collar work where we do a lot of work, but are often underpaid, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> uh, whether by just community circumstance or because we're undercharging or whatever it might be, um, that I think a lot of folks feel like, oh, I got to figure out pricing and then I'll be done. Mm-hmm. It's not quite, it doesn't quite happen like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's It's sort of there should always be space, I think, for experimentation and making mistakes and learning from those mistakes. I've made a ton of mistakes. I think I spend so much time talking about pricing and economic justice. When it's actually, those are some of my most popular blog posts on the sliding scale and also alternatives to the sliding scale, um, is there's very little information out there mm-hmm. still, which is surprising to me. Um, because there's very clever people doing all sorts of things around alternative economies and that, but we haven't spoken so much about sliding scale. Um, And it's something I've personally struggled with. And so I've been trying to figure it out this past year, something new that I tried was always having a pay it forward price in my offerings, which has been actually pretty successful. And so what that is, is that it's the price of the class plus a few dollars. And I'm really, I think it's important to really explain to your community why you make your choices around pricing. I have a lot of info up on my site. You are very welcome to use it, you know, Mm -hmm. put it back because it gives, Mm -hmm. it keeps the conversation growing, which has been fantastic. Mm -hmm. Um, And what a pay it forward price does is it helps to cover folks at the lower end of the scale. And so people feel really good if they're able to, uh, uh, come in at this price point, feel really good about getting the class that they want to take and knowing that they're supporting others through this with very little effort on their part. Mm -hmm. Um, And, but yeah, I I think we need to keep talking about money. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We need to, because if we don't talk about money, we don't talk about economic justice and we don't talk about access realistically, it's really difficult to build something new. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think especially in the it's different elsewhere, I know, but in the United States, we really struggle to talk about class. Mm -hmm. Um, Everybody thinks they're middle class. We are not all (laughs) middle class. Right. Everybody thinks they're middle class. We are not all middle class. And um, there's a lot of angst and anxiety in sort of the social justice and activist communities around money and earning enough. Um, And often what I say to folks is would you ask anybody you are serving to live on as little as you are living on? 
mm-hmm. and say that that is a just thing to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because what I want is I want our healers to be getting, have being good housing, getting the food they need and not worrying about those bills so they can show up to their work because we need more people <laughs> doing mm-hmm. healing work. Right. Mm-hmm. And I want them to, you know, because I, yeah, and it, but it's hard under capitalism, and it always will be, right? It's not a system that supports the type of radical change we're looking for. But we, there are ways to chip away, right, mm-hmm. and to create these little sort of microclimates yeah. <laughs> of change. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think experimentation is really good. I think you should, and, and always putting, I think people forget to um, remember that their time should be calculated into a price, like how Mm -hmm. much time it takes you to prepare something, Mm -hmm. you know, setting up and putting down and not just the small amount of time you might be interacting with someone Mm -hmm. um, too. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's really, yeah. So important to mention too. I think there's so much complexity in pricing, especially online. And I, I love, I love people that have the courage to offer sliding scares and put in the work to educate people. And I, I will also admit that I haven't always felt good about it or like, you know, resentment around pricing has come up for me as well, because, because exactly what you're describing, I think sometimes it's, it's easy for to forget for people that there's so much more that goes into an offering than just the contact time that we have, or mm-hmm. that even because even though something is maybe a digital download in a way, we still kind of have to, um, yeah, be be replenished for the time and energy that we've put into it, and and then make space to create the next thing, and that will require research and dreaming and resting as well, and. And that creates the beautiful stuff that is so needed. And also, I'm really excited about all the different tools that we now have available. So while there is sometimes frustration, I think there's also so much hope because we're now able to talk to each other in in real time, you know, um, internationally about the different practices that we're trying. There's more of a sense of playfulness because um the technology that we can use is so fast paced which obviously also has a lot of downsides but i feel that i've been able in a way to be much more experimental than i imagined for example as a young teenager my grown-up work life to be um i think things are a little bit less static and that's quite beautiful and exciting too yes (laughs) yeah (laughs) i mean definitely and i would also like I don't offer sliding scales on all my offerings because it didn't make sense. Mm -hmm. Right. I, you have to also take into consideration and because technology has also gotten better. It's easier to offer sliding scale now with different technology, technological options. It's easier to offer payment plans and all that kind of stuff. What I would say though, is remember that you have to, when, when, making these different offerings and adjustments, you have to take in consideration how much time it is going to take for you to implement it. Mm -hmm. Whether there's always going to be stuff we do in our businesses that we don't like doing, but we don't want those to be dominant in our Mm -hmm. business and to Mm -hmm. take up too much space. Um, And yeah, and you can always change your prices. You can always, you know, I I used to feel so bad every time I changed my prices. I don't anymore. (laughs) <laughs> I feel bad about other things, but that is not something I feel bad about anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, I don't offer sliding scale everywhere because um, it 
didn't make sense on a couple different levels, but I do try, I, what I try to explain to my communities now is like, when you pay full price for something, you allow me to offer free things and low cost things on a level that I'm not able to do unless other unless folks are supporting my work, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and things like Patreon, that's where actually I've been kind of investigating more is, um, is these little, not micro lending, but these little micro payment mm-hmm. communities, which are can be really fantastic. Oh yeah, um, right. You have a Patreon, and so oh, I, I've had God. a few. Right. And how, so how? Yeah, I'm curious. How has that been for you then? Oh my gosh, I can tell you what a big difference Patreon has made in my life. Like not just yeah. financially, but spiritually, creatively, just in how I. Um, hold potential for my life to be honest you know which I know sounds a little bit dramatic but um I I have started my Patreon two years ago and I think I started it at a time where it it was a little bit more new and exciting to people so there was in the first year like a really steady very surprising growth actually I think I I got to like 165 patrons I think um, that was at its height, uh, probably in spring last year, 2019. So like yeah. a year and a few months in. And I I did that mainly because I offered all my courses and programs uh, in exchange for pledges. So instead of kind of offering one of payments, I asked people to pledge uh, three, six or nine dollars for my embodied magic program or eleven dollars for my business class. And um I had at that point been podcasting for a number of years. So I had a very engaged audience. I don't want to call it big or small because there's really no point. It totally depends. Yeah. On, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, but there were people that had already known my work and they were kind of excited about those programs. And then they were very affordable. Um, I will say that there have been times where I was a little bit sad about people signing up just one month not really engaging with the material and then dropping it again because obviously that is you know that's that's a bit disheartening I guess and um but uh but this the steady income has really helped me to get out of this rat race of launching things I have another business other than this one so this one is called Daydream Wolves and I also have Yara Digital which is a web design um, right. and business mentoring studio and I support my clients in launching a lot and I love that work I really love the tech and design aspect f- for that because I'm I'm geeky like that mm-hmm. um, but when it comes to launching I've really seen hi dog <laughs> yes That's a, it's a, the mail is arriving oh yeah it's quiet I know it's <laughs> just going um, go later come later sorry <laughs> that's totally fine so totally fine. you'll quiet down in just a minute yeah yeah <laughs> um so yeah it, it has it's helped me um to launch my courses without having these big pushes for them and I think there's a lot with these pushes you know they're not all bad and of course we have to share what offering and sometimes those things are time sensitive and that totally makes sense and sometimes they're seasonal you know that that you know I'm not kind of raging against all of that as a blanket statement but I think launching has always felt a little bit fraud for me and I think there's a lot of stuff that comes up around self-worth and communication Mm. and scarcity marketing and those kinds of things and so having a continuously open enrollment and um, allowing people to just kind of commit to my work rather than buying a thing 
um, that has been really beautiful. So I feel like the deal that I have with my patrons is, hey, you support me financially, energetically. I offer you my work and we'll be in this relationship for as long as it feels good for both of us. And that's different than this kind of, you know, one-off transaction of like, hey, here is my thing. Please buy it. <laughs> so um, I found your Patreon page to be very inspiring. I love how you've <laughs> set it up. No, really, I've been looking at a bunch of different, you know, patrons and kind mm-hmm. of how people do it. And you've done it in a, a unique way. Um, I think folks are interested in maybe starting their own Patreon and how you should check out your host page. Oh, thanks. <laughs> no, really, it, it's, I, I love, I feel, I feel inspired. I'm like, oh, well, that'd be a great way to like, cause I have some low cost, um, ebooks, right? Mm-hmm. Like little, my little digital scenes. Um, and I'm like, but that would be cool. There'd be a little community built up around that. Cause mm-hmm. I'm always, I like hearing how people change the recipes or experiment with them mm-hmm. and that. So I found your yeah. page really inspiring. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. I want to say also though, that it has really decreased in numbers last year. So the high, yeah. like I said, was like 160 last spring. And I had a bit of a challenging time in, in my own life last winter and spring. And so I stopped podcasting. I wasn't on social media so much anymore. And then I shifted um, the business class to a different payment system because I wanted to diversify a little bit. I was getting nervous about yeah. getting so much of my income through Patreon. Um, you, you know, because you never know, it isn't my own technology at the end of the day. And yeah. so that has decreased a little bit. And um, <laughs> I've also ended my uh, embodied magic program, which ran for two years. And this year, I'm allowing myself to kind of offer more spontaneous uh, shorter classes for patrons as I go. Um, so all this to say, little waffle, I think it's a beautiful tool. I would love to be your patron if you start one. <laughs> and I really encourage people to, yeah, consider, um, you know, consider supporting a few people over a period of time if you can, even if it's just $1, it feels so good to get $1 pledges, honestly, because I feel like what someone is saying is like, hey, I, I you know, I see you and I, I think your work, your work is worth something, even if I can't afford to offer you a ton in exchange and that's okay. So, yeah. Well, I, I have, you know, there's a few folks that I support on Patreon and um, I feel like if they were living in the same city with me, the amount that I spend each year <laughs> it would be taking them out for dinner. I mm-hmm. would do that to, with yeah. my friends, right? You know, yeah. it's not, but I know because I have like a little, people can donate to me. There's, it's not a Patreon. It's just on my page, but those donations mean that I can, it's not a lot, but it means that that helps me pay one bill that helps me get some groceries, right? It, it, it's such a good feeling to know that you have no matter how big or small that this amount is coming in because Mm -hmm. running your own business can be Mm -hmm. such right it's you don't know <laughs> you, mean? you so, just don't know yeah. totally true yeah yeah totally true there's so many other questions that I want to ask you <laughs> I, <Yeah>. I mean <laughs> I we can yeah oh god it's such a big topic isn't it I didn't mean to cut you off either and also I have so many other cool questions um no I yeah please <laughs> can, I think I, we could both talk about money for yes <laughs> totally, totally um I'm wondering seeing that it is January in a very particular time in human history what yeah. your favorite self-care or community practices for winter or difficult times are yeah 
And by um, the way, when I oh so sorry, when I say self care, I also want to say I love that the way you frame self care. And I know that you have written about um, how it's sometimes really just simplified and watered down and commodified in some way. So I I just want to frame it and and say I know that you have complex and beautiful thoughts on this. So um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, oh, I, <laughs> yeah. I've had a I've been having a tumultuous relationship with self-care and I think a lot of folks too as it's become created like self-care has become this thing that's now a very capitalist like packaged marketing thing and it isolate it can isolate people too especially mm-hmm. in the United States where we have a failing medical system right mm-hmm. um where we can't access just basic medical care with ease mm-hmm. um this idea of well take care of yourself pull yourself up by your bootstraps um if there's a there's a also um, in the United States a culture of uh, well if you're sick it's because you kind of deserved it or if you're poor it's because you've not worked hard enough right all these sort of things and so I see that sometimes edging into our self care narratives mm-hmm. and I think taking care of ourself the ultimate thing is to get us back into community mm-hmm. right that should be it shouldn't be oh I'm going to get myself all I'm going to get good right I'm going to repair all my broken bits so that I'm a whole perfect being that can go back then community will accept me back right Mm -hmm. and I think especially as healers and activists and um that we need to start going asking ourselves as part of our self-care is how am I allowing other people to take care of me Mm -hmm. how am I asked not just asking but allow because we don't even have to ask half the time there are people in our lives who want to take care of us whether and also creatures dogs right <laughs> my dog is the most wonderful you know little emotional support animal ever mm-hmm. um and it's and I very easily allow him to come in I have a harder time letting people do that and that's mm. been sort of so part of my self-care is remembering to that my ultimate goal is to get back into community is to to break up this spell of fracturedness and isolation that this sort of dominant overculture really hammers into us to believe. So as specific tools, breathwork is always something that I turn to. Um, it has not, and I mean, it can be any just like simple breathing. It can be sort of your square breathing. It can be breathing with guided meditations or whatever. Um, for a while when I was too anxious to do my breath work, I knitted. I sat for 15 minutes and I did a simple knitting project, but that helped with the the pattern of the needles and the yarn and everything like that. Was able to return to my breath without focusing too much on my breath. Because sometimes those of us who are more anxious breath work can be extremely challenging and so um but there's a there's a so many varieties that you can work with mm-hmm. i would say getting outside as much as possible mm-hmm. um uh, i'm i choose and i am grateful for how simple these healing things can be you know sometimes going outside for me is taking out the trash and pulling weeds from the garden and that and other days I'm going outside and remembering how my ancestors have spent most of their lives outside and I'm breathing 
this air that was created by the legacy of their breaths and I'm surrounded by holy beings and I am that holiness and there's no barrier, right? Both Mm -hmm. those things happen. Mm -hmm. And I think in these particular times, um, practice, whatever your practice looks like is, and knowing that it's this, and committing to consistency and knowing that every season is an opportunity to kind of re-examine what we want to do, be doing consistently mm. and understanding that there's sort of patterns of consistency that bring us into practice. So that could be meditation or praying or just drinking water mindfully um, or showing up and giving like and listening carefully to someone else that that brings us into practice. And there are those patterns which pull us out of practice. For me, that was social media. Mm-hmm. I'm not it anymore, right? It was a mm-hmm. big practice destroyer <laughs> in my life. It wasn't what I wanted to be doing consistently. And so I think in a world where there feels like there's increasingly less choice, on, you know, um, that making the small choices on what we want to consistently be putting our consciousness into, right? Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's putting our consciousness into a little phone. Or maybe it's into, and it's not condemning technology, right? Like there's so many good things, but I think that our social media is set up not to serve us, right? Mm. I think that's just true. Like there's a lot of good things that can come out of social media. There's communities that can be built. There's information that can be shared, but the actual tools itself is not set up to serve Mm. us and support our mental health. And, you know, um, and that's a hard place for us to be in because we don't really have anything else right now. <laughs> We've grown up with this, right? Um, but I, I still think we can make our choices on what, where do we consistently want to be waking up and being alive in the world and mm-hmm. dreaming deep under trees or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Um, and just knowing that you're going to go outside sometimes and it's going to feel profound. You're going to go outside sometimes. And it's just going to feel cold and wet and you want to be back <laughs> inside, right? That's not going outside every day still, right? Yeah. It's working that muscle so that that sort of mystical, magical muscle so that when those moments of bliss show up, we can ride them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that you're totally right. The, the commitment to the consistency is allowing our nervous systems to settle, to be able to mm-hmm. see those really beautiful enchanting moments. Like I love having dogs because they force me to go outside four or five times a day. Yeah. And so, you know, like there is a rhythm and a pace to our days and there's no question about it, whether it's raining or not, you know, and we live in Scotland, so it's raining a lot. (laughs) But, um, But then because, yeah, because this routine really kind of is soothing to all three of us, there is also capacity to see these really beautiful moments. So yeah, that makes sense. Is there anything else that you would like to share before we close, which I would, I wish we had didn't have to, we could definitely talk for hours and hours. And I hope that you might be on the podcast again, but. um, That'd be lovely. I really enjoyed this. Yeah. But for now, is there anything else that you want us to know about other than your work, which we'll also ask about in a minute? I I want folks to know how much they are loved. Mm. I think that's what's coming up for me a lot as we're having these conversations. Like we are so 
in these particular times, I'm going to be using that phrase a lot now <laughs> in these, in these particular times, because they're not just challenging. They're also inspiring, right? Mm-hmm. We are waking up and trying to be more kind as a species in ways that we haven't in a while. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that's inspiring. And so I think we're, we can be really distracted or busy or afraid or forgetful of how much we are so loved. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it can be hard to see that it can be hard to have faith in other people, but there are, there's that tree in your backyard that, you know, your dogs in your life or other people in your life, because it can be hard to understand when other people love you. Right. But you are loved and you are necessary. And this world is a more whole and sacred place with you in it. Mm-hmm. And that. That's just, we're not told that enough. Um, And that's, yeah, I think that's, I think that's what I needed to hear this year a lot. I know Mm -hmm. that. So I'm hoping that maybe there's someone out there who's having a hard time believing that. Um, But just know that you are loved, like that there are rocks out on the street, right? It is just a thing, you know? Yeah. Totally. Such a beautiful thing to end on. I really love that. Um, What are you currently offering and where can people find you? So you can find me wartsandcunning.com. That's kind of where I'm at. Um, I don't, yeah, I'm not on social media these days. Um, uh, so my newsletter is really kind of the place to keep up to date with everything. And that's also where I um, share more of behind the scenes stuff um, as well as like puppy videos. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I teach both online and in person. I teach a couple of different courses. One is called the Lunar Apothecary, which is all about um, kind of figuring out the reason why you're called to do healing work. And we use the tools of sort of lunar centered herbalism um, to help us discover that. Um, Then I also teach the Tarot Apothecary, which is about the intersections of herbalism and the tradition of tarot, which is a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. And my newest little kind of mini course that I just launched, I guess, this past fall um, is called Begin with the Breath. And it's all, I basically was like, I've been talking about breath work for years. So here are the techniques that I really like Mm -hmm. um, and that I use. And so that... And that one is offered on a, if you want to kind of get an idea of what one of my sliding scales would look like, that one is offered on a real large and generous sliding scale. Um, yeah, then I teach in person here in Sacramento. So. Mm, cool. Thank you. <laughs> and we'll link to that in the show notes as well. So if anyone didn't have a chance to write it down, it'll be there as well. Alexis, thank you so, so much for making the time and for sharing so much wisdom and insight and your observation it's been really beautiful to talk to you this has been wonderful this has flown by (laughs) i had a really great time yeah me too (laughs) thank you so much yeah